You don't make money running businesses. You make money when you sell them. Hey, welcome back to All In With Rick Jordan. What's shaking? I am Rick Jordan, and today we're going to talk to this guy who is the founder of the Harbor Club, and I love his bio because it says that he was that annoying kid at school that was always trying to sell you stuff, but he's an investor, author, business expert, and mentor, and speaker. Jeremy Harbor, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for the intro. It's all good. My man, let's, let's dive into some fun things today because... I saw that in your bio that your older brother, he was 14, right? And he passed away when you were just 10. Is that right? Yeah. And I saw that there was anxiety around that and that the that you just kind of became completely aware of your mortality at 10 years old. Can you describe that? Because 10 years old is a young age to be like, oh, wait, hey, death is real. Yeah. No, it was pretty weird. So, I mean... I, actually, growing up, I, I, I seem to be around a lot of death. I mean, my, my grandmother my grandmother was the youngest of 14 children. So I kind of had all these uncles who, who all, you know, like were dropping off at various stages of my childhood. I had a friend at school who, uh, who died. I had a guy who I was best man at his wedding. Uh, and, and a year or two years later, he died. And, um, but my brother, yeah, was when I was, I was 10 years old, he was 14. And you know what young kids are like? You're fighting all the time. So kind of your you know, you, you love your brother, but your memories are the fights you had, you know, which is like a horrible uh, kind of those regrets oh, of yeah, the, last, the last the last moments you spent together, you're probably fighting. You yeah, know? Like, I was, uh, yeah, I was pretty... five and six years older than my brother and sister, but they were only 13 months apart. So they were 10 and 11 when my dad passed. But I remember as they were growing up, man, they were always at each other's throats. I mean, sometimes like fist fights, dude. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's, I think that's just siblings, isn't it? And uh uh, and so, yeah, I mean, of course, you have you have all this kind of, I mean, you know, when, whenever anybody dies, I guess you sometimes feel a sense of what if or could something be different or what would have happened if, you know, X, Y, Z. And so you have all that crap going on as a 10-year-old. It's pretty confusing. And then, of course, you have this, uh, I mean, I literally used to lie awake in bed every night thinking I wouldn't wake up in the morning, you know, having like uh, these almost sort of uh, panic attack style anxiety attacks around uh, uh, around my mortality. It would be wow. uh, it would be yeah very very real sort of growing up and uh, yeah I mean look hey it's um, everybody goes through their everybody goes through their stuff. I think when I look back at my uh, when I look back at that period, um, I actually think a lot of the drive and the hunger that I ended up with in that period was partly driven by that. It's almost like this uh, treat every day as your last, and one day you'll be right. Um, but it, it manifested itself in a kind of work hard, play hard attitude. So I would work my nuts off, but then, uh, very English expression, I apologize for <laughs> work my nuts off. And then at the, we at the weekend, I'd, I'd go out and get, you know, uh, you know, hammered and, and go, go drinking with my uh, buddies and things like that because you kind of, you didn't want any any sort of moment where your brain was just engaged with thinking about life, the universe, and everything. You either wanted to be immersed in your work or immersed in some nice cocktails. There wasn't really, a, <laughs> uh, yeah, you kind of you wanted the uh, yeah, dude. Is that the, the blank time? Is that kind of like a desire to escape yourself in that moment too? I, mean, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But look, I've I've always had a really. I was a hyperactive kid. I was always bouncing off the walls. Um, uh, never never shut up. Always talking. And, um, and that, you know, even when you stop talking, your brain is still going like this, you know, and you're going through like a thousand different things all at the same time. And I've, I've always been like that. I've spoken to other people who, who are not like that. 
Um, and so I've never really been able to quiet the inner voice. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, particularly when I was younger and you don't know how to kind of control that stuff, it gets a little bit out of hand sometimes. And so, yeah, it's escapism completely. Oh, and sure. Um, yeah. And when you're 10, yeah. I mean, your emotional intelligence is still growing and forming at that point, too. That's- exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, was, I wasn't going out and getting drunk when I was 10. But- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I've known people who have. Not the I, best I, I thing. I waited until I was 12. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. I'm glad. Yeah. And that's when you started working your nuts off too, right? You know, it's, it's exactly. my weird yeah. humor, as you said that I'm like, what's the opposite of that? Is that like for women, they work their ovaries off? How do you relate to that? You know, cause it's yeah, like every, know, every yeah, dude yeah. like jumped. I'm like, yeah, I know what you're saying, but back to this escaping. Well, it's, it, it's, it's, it's patriarchy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. No joke for sure. What, what, You've got this whole thing to where you you jump into this and, and going back to this, like escaping yourself, right? And almost like escaping responsibility in that moment because you realize that, wow, everything around me just got a hell of a lot more real. You know, it's not all like sunshine, roses, Santa Claus, Easter bunny anymore. And I saw my brother and sister go through this too, man, because they were 10 and 11 years old when my dad passed and I saw how it affected them, you know, and they, they didn't know what was going on until that point. But that was, that was their real kind of first brush with death was around that time too. And I had seen, you know, my grandmother pass, you know, and I felt the same as you. It's like, I was almost around a lot of death. I felt to where I just became desensitized to it. And it wasn't just my dad. It was a lot of family members, aunts, uncles, grandma grandfathers and I remember the first funeral I went to I was like six years old or something like that so I was uh, just akin to this from early on but still the, when this happens there's nothing that like that that can shove you into whatever else you know and I'm sure this kind of drove you into because you left school at the age of 15 that's it right mm-hmm. yeah yeah didn't 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 even uh well the I didn't get to the end of the last term of high school yeah I uh, I did my exams and just uh, walked out Wow, that's incredible. I I took like a kind of a work release program my last year. So I really only went for like an hour a day for my final year. And I was young too. I was 17. So I, I sort of skipped the last year, you know, but I had enough credits that I stored up in those first several years to actually complete it at that point at that moment. So I, I still finished and got my diploma at that point. Did you finish school, high school, whatever it is where you were? Yeah, so we, uh, I finished like the first bit, but not the, not the next bit. So there's a bit that finishes in the UK system that finishes when you're 16, and then you do the A-levels, which finish at 18. So I, I, I left just before the 16 bit um, and didn't do the last bit. But the last bit is pretty much the entry to university or college. You know, you do these, these two years of exams. They're pretty much, you do those just so you can go to college. And I'd already decided I wasn't going to college or university. I was like I, I was pretty pissed off waiting until I was 16, if I'm honest, um, <laughs> to, get, to get started. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah, it's, you, you, it's that hurry up and wait kind of thing, right? And you but just it, have- but it's incredible. But it's incredible. I have kids now, so I've got a six year old and a four year old. And uh, and before I had kids, I was like, I'm never sending my kids to school. I'm going to figure out an education program that's going to show them real life. I'm going to take them around the world. I'm going to show them all this different stuff. I'm not going to. I'm not going to send them to school. And, uh, and and I've done a bit of that, but they're in school. And, uh, and I realize now, now I'm an adult, I realize school isn't education, it's childcare. I completely missed, I completely missed the point. It's, uh, you, you think it's, it's just really crappy education. Why are they taking so long to teach me this shit? I could learn in an hour. It's because it's childcare. It gets the kids out the house so the parents can actually get stuff done and have a, For sure. have a relationship with each other. <laughs> yeah, and that's been the difficulty I know in the States too throughout the whole pandemic is that, you know, it's been this complete shift because these parents that were depending on public school for childcare 
and now just had their lives turned upside down. And now we've got parents that are working from home while your kids are also at home doing this e-remote learning stuff that, you know, and I say stuff, you know, because my kids are involved in online private school, totally different. But this, this whole new family dynamic without the childcare of public school, well, like, uh, like you were saying too, I saw this other meme the other day and I showed my son yesterday, my 13 year old son. And it was, uh, this is the States, you know, it was a joke that was applicable to the U S and it said me, you know, Colin, it was, Hey, you know, how do I do my taxes? And then the response is from public school, shut the fuck up and square dance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, but to your point, that's the whole thing is that, you know, what, what is yeah. school you know, really, really teaching? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I remember going but, through uh, no, I mean, so, so here's a fascinating one. So uh, this time last year, my kids were in school in Singapore learning English and Mandarin. Uh, six months ago, they were in school in Ukraine learning English and Russian. And now they're in school in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates learning English and Arabic. Um, so uh, all, all British school systems. Um, so we put them through the, Brit the British curriculum. But in every country, you always have the second language being like uh, the the yeah, proposed second language for that for that country. So so our kids have had like a, a crazy year for education, ma mainly driven because of the pandemic. We I mean we do travel a lot normally, but this was uh, uh, you know a, li a little less stable than normal. But but great fun. I mean they can speak uh, yeah they can speak sort of um, pigeon Mandarin, pigeon <laughs> pigeon Arabic, and pigeon. Well, actually, my my daughter's absolutely fluent in Russian. My son's uh, like oh, that's a, awesome. Fifty fifty. Yeah. 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 Now here's a, everybody listening is thinking, you know, cause uh, we're talking about public school too. You know, you and I were both in that you and I both did not like it. I did not like it for my kids either, which is why they haven't been in it even pre pandemic. And I've even done entire podcast episodes on this, but from a relatable standpoint, everyone that's listening right now is seeing you and I and be like, Oh, well, well I can never do that. You know, I, I see that, you know, or, or I was also like, labeled i would get labeled this a lot for some of my ideas is crazy you know of course by family members or whatever else you know it's like how they're going to socialize or whatever else but i'm assuming that your kids are pretty well socialized oh, they're, they're off the charts i mean the, the problem is they're a bit overconfident because i mean so my daughter by her first birthday had been on 55 flights so 55 <laughs> airplane flights. So now if we go anywhere, if we go anywhere, I mean, they're, they're, they have no, like they will communicate with all adults. They will go up and talk to anybody. They'll just, um, I mean, I'll be with them, say, oh, we're waiting for, we're waiting for them to come over and uh, take our order. You know, they, they want some chicken nuggets or whatever, you know, they're waiting for us to come and take the order. And my son will go, excuse me, <laughs> to the waiter, you know, like, no, zero. Dude, that's my youngest <laughs> son, for sure. <laughs> yeah, zero, zero shame. You know? yeah. um, His latest yeah, thing now shoot. is he won't use tap water in the States. So we'll go around and everybody else is like, yeah, I'm good with the ice water, you know, because I'll still get wine, scotch, whatever else. But at 10 years old, he goes, I would like spring water, please. <laughs> and he became this water snob. But then, yes, my other son, too, has, had, has held conversations with billionaires, you know, and and who this one dude who's a friend of mine walks over to me afterwards and he goes, I didn't know they could be that coherent at that age. And he was only 11. Oh, yeah. You know, we oh, underestimate yeah. kids, man. And it has to do with the we environment. Do, yeah. We don't push totally. them enough. Yeah, totally. Totally. But no, I, I, yeah, these, these are super confident. And uh, I mean, they, I think I'm a little bit worried. They have no idea what goes on in the real world. They think this fantasy life that we live in is kind of normal. And, you know, we have to, 
I think there comes a stage where we have to try and normalize them a little bit, but uh, hey, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I'm with you. And that's where where we start to, well, kind of socialize, whatever, you know, because my kids are still involved in sports and, and all this other stuff too, but it's they're still around everybody else in society and we still have to retain that connection too because even with you and I, with what we do, let's bring it from kids into adult world now. With what we do, sometimes it's a little hard to be relatable, you know, and we have to present that, that, hey, we really are because, I mean, it's just, you know, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, I had newborn twins in a condo with only two bedrooms without a job. That's real life. You know, we, we've been through those things, but now everyone just sees us on stages, sees us as investors, sees us doing IPOs, you know, and it's like, but it's taken a freaking long time and hard ass work to get yeah, here, man. Yeah. You know, that's yeah, real world. I've, I've been poor a lot more than I've been rich. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we, we go through cycles with that too, don't we? <laughs> to, to where, yeah, you, I try not to anymore. <laughs> I know. But I yeah, get you. Used, but it used, it used to be pretty extreme. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, yep. still famine. Yeah, yeah. I feel you. So when you were, you were that kid in school, this was one thing that, that stuck out in your bio to me, right? And it said that you were the one who sold people everything you know sold other kids things and i remember kids like that when i was in public school too you know and you know they're back now but back then there were air jordans right nike air jordans and there were lace locks i don't know if you remember lace locks or not but you know you didn't didn't have to tie your shoes but there was always kids selling their freaking lace locks and i remember buying some lace locks for me because it was poor i grew up poor didn't have them you know i, I had like either some cheap nikes or some pro wings back then i don't know if you remember pro wings but they were like these generic shoes that you would get made fun of for wearing but then i would pop these jordan lace locks on my <laughs> on my freaking pro wings and think that i was cool but those kids were running around selling everything dude what, what kind of stuff were you selling to other kids so a lot of it was uh like candy um uh you know uh, and, and actually a lot of jewelry that was against the school rules so um when i was at school there was like a, a big craze around like kind of gothic jewelry you know the big skulls and the kind yeah, of the, yeah. the kind slightly dark kind of uh you know i guess you call it like emo stuff now but like uh, back then it was i guess gothic um and uh yeah so selling all of that because it was against the school rules so everybody like uh loved to wear stuff they're not allowed to wear you know um and uh yeah just anything that i could uh buy for a dollar and sell for three dollars basically that's awesome. And then you started a market stall, right? What exactly is a market stall? Is that just like a booth at a? Um, yeah, yeah, literally. Uh, so uh, you know these outdoor markets, like a farmers market, kind of thing. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it's sort of not, like a flea market. Fruit, we would call not it just this. fruit and vegetables. Yeah, gotcha. not just fruit and vegetables, but selling everything. So, gotcha. Yeah, I yep. just have a, a stall there selling watches and jewelry. Yeah. And that was at fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, uh, earlier than that, I think like thirteen or fourteen, and. Uh, it was, I left school at 15 to kind of pursue that business because I'd started uh, the, the stock parcels that I was buying. I'd started buying those and then selling them to other market traders. So I'd have my market store, but also a wholesaler to lots of other market traders. Because if you bought enough bulk, you could get it much cheaper and then you sell half of it. So you're, you're overstocked and then you, uh, you sell the other half on your own store. So you moved up the supply chain then a couple levels too. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I figured out that if I wanted a better price, I had to get more of them. And if I could lay some of that stock off to someone else, I got the better price. Yeah, no kidding. That's phenomenal. Uh, you've gotten into mergers, mergers and acquisitions too, right? How did that come about? Yeah. Straight, it didn't come straight from the market trading. <laughs> I know. That's why I was, I mean, I'm looking at my questions in front of me, right? You know, <laughs> it's so, like, where was the transition, uh, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. so, 
No, so uh, yeah, I was market trading. Uh, it got into kind of just buying and selling anything I could lay my hands on. I was buying and selling video games, fruit machines, and uh, pinball machines, and pool tables, and all sorts of things. And I, I ended up buying an amusement arcade um, uh, when I was about 18 years old. Uh, that actually went bust when I was 19, and I started a, um, a mobile phone business. So mobile phones were just starting to miniaturize. Um, I just started selling them to local businesses, then opened a little shop, and then I did another shop and had three shops, then was, um, uh, yeah, had a, an office that was focused on business to business stuff. Then we added, you know, fixed line and phone systems and all this kind of stuff. And anyway, we grew really quickly and that market, um, exploded into a million different suppliers and then consolidated really, really quickly into a few big ones. And when it was going through that rapid consolidation phase, I found that I was having meetings every week with people that were trying to consolidate the market because obviously we, we were like a million uh, pounds, like a one and a half million dollars of revenue a year, something like that. And we were two years old, maybe three years old. And uh, so we wouldn't be bought by one of these big companies, but there were lots of other people that were mopping up lots of guys like us to sell to those bigger uh, companies. And so I started having meetings with all these people that were trying to buy me. And obviously up until then, everything I'd understood about uh, business was making sure that you bought right, you know, getting in uh, for as low a cost as possible, sales and marketing. And for me, that was that was business, you know. And um, as I've grown the telecoms company, I started to realize that leadership and management kind of come into it and that they're a bit important. So all the books I read, all of the seminars I went to, everything I studied was sales, marketing, management, you know, um, all, all those kind of areas. And all of a sudden, there's a guy sitting opposite me saying he's going to buy my company to create a group to sell to this other company. And I'm thinking, fuck, I don't know anything about this. This is like, uh, this is a whole uh, new world. And what was really interesting is the deal that he's putting to me is pretty much I get a share of the action and he solves a bunch of problems for me now to help me scale quicker, you know, so remove some of the obstacles from a cash flow perspective to help me scale. But he's not actually going to give me any money up front. It's kind of a, you know, earn out, earn in, whatever you call it, kind of uh, uh, structure, uh, jam tomorrow, basically. And uh, so I'm sitting there thinking like, shit, I haven't got any money either. Maybe I should be the buyer instead of the seller. Maybe I should be on the other side of this table doing this deal. And that's exactly what I did. I went out networking, looking for a mobile phone company I could acquire. And I, I found one that happened to be a bit motivated, a bit, they had some uh, stress in the business, was able to acquire that company. I didn't use any cash up front. In fact, when I bought it, I think my choice was pay my credit card bill or pay my staff. I didn't have like a third choice to, to go spend some money on a company. So I completed the deal without using any cash. And it was just an epiphany. I grew by a year's worth of sales in an afternoon and I hadn't had to risk any capital or try any new marketing technique or uh, you know hire a sales guy or anything like that. We literally added a year's worth of extra sales in a, in a day. Um, and I just thought, shit, I've got to do that again. Yeah, for sure. And keep that cycle rolling. When it comes to money down purchases, man, why, for everyone listening, why in the world would a seller ever go for no money down? You know, nothing up front. Yeah, that, yeah so I mean, look, the there, is a, there are, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, there are thousands and thousands of businesses and not many buyers. Um, and particularly when you're in that kind of sub 5 million revenue area, sub 5 million of revenue. The, the, the buyers are incredibly sparse. And so no one's going to give them a check. No one's just going to write a check for the whole uh, amount or very, very rarely are they. And so, um, you know, with this particular one, uh, they had three main challenges. The first one uh, was they were having uh, their, their building was about to be demolished and turned into apartments. And the cost of them moved because they were a retail 
outlet, the cost of them moving to a new retail outlet, refurbishing it, uh, putting the rent deposit down, all that shit. It, it was going to cost them like 70 grand to move. And he was only making 12 grand a year net from uh, from his thousand customers. So he, he wasn't, it wasn't a very profitable uh, enterprise. The second thing was he had another business that was very profitable. He was refurbishing um, terraced houses and turning them into apartments and, and making big chunks of money doing that, but was spending all of his time in this other business. So this was liberating him from a business that was holding him back in his, in his mind. And the third thing was he was in a massive dispute with his, with his key supplier. And this had been going on for a couple of years and it was, it was really grinding him down. It just made every day hard. He would, he would pitch for a contract, win the contract, and then the supplier would change their mind about fulfilling. And so he'd end up looking stupid and it, it was just, it was driving him crazy. And so basically I, I offered to give him slightly more than a year's worth of, of earnings, but in a shorter space of time than a year um, by simply transitioning all of his customers over to us and, and paying him out uh, as, as we moved them over. And from his perspective, that got him out of his premises without him having to move into a new expensive premises. It gave him more than a year's worth of, uh, of profit so he could focus on the other business full time and, and maybe make even more money. Um, and then he never had to deal with those suppliers ever again. So it, it basically, we found his itch and we scratched it. And, and look, he was running around trying to find the trying to find the Father Christmas deal. You know, the guy with the check who uh, didn't you know didn't care. And it wasn't there, you know, so, uh, so we were the best, uh, we were the best game in town. Especially right now. And I think this applies a lot because I'm in an acquisition mode also. And a lot of these can be done for no money or little money down, which is what you're talking about an earn out or an earn in as you called it. Yeah. And I'm seeing a lot of this, but there are a lot of hurting people right now, you know, in, in business. And I've seen this across the board and they're really just, <laughs> a lot of them might be looking for that father Christmas, like you, like you said, yeah, and, and I've seen are. that. Yeah, yeah. And, it and just doesn't exist, man. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, you 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 put your best offer in there. Your offer should be a win-win. It should help them as well. So they should get some up, upside from it. You know, um, perhaps better than market rate for the business, but you're paying out the profits of the business, or you know, some other uh, you know piece of upside for them. Um, you know, it's not like you're taking advantage of them. You're giving them a, a really good out. Um, yeah, for and then sure. You basically just say, look, here, here's my offer. Now go see if you can find one better. If you can't find one better by this date, let's do my deal. Um, and, uh, and you can pretty much, you know, leave it on the table like that. And, and you'd be surprised how often they come back to that table. Oh, for sure. But, and from your perspective as a buyer too, anybody listening, you always have to be ready to walk away from any deal yeah. when there's no emotion. Yeah. Oh, the, be the best deals you'll ever do are the ones you walk away from. For sure. Right on. Oh, I love that. The best deals you'll ever do are the ones you walk away from. That's phenomenal. That's what everybody, that's a mic drop right there. Thank you, Jeremy. We can end the show. I'm kidding. We got more time. <laughs> Dude, that's phenomenal. So let's talk a little bit about the Harbor Club, man. What is the Harbor Club? Yeah. So basically many years ago, so back when I did that telecoms deal, I did a bunch of deals after that. And I started to get a reputation for doing these deals without any money down. And particularly when I would buy somebody's competitor and they'd find out I didn't actually pay anything upfront for it. So for example, I bought this, uh, it was a seminar company that was doing three and a half million in revenue and they were up for sale for 300 grand and pretty much everyone else in their industry had turned them down. And Wait, then I how much revenue were they doing? Three million? Three and a half million. Three and a half, yeah, three three and million. half million ster ster sterling. So it's about five million US. And they were asking 300,000 for it? And they were asking 300 grand for the business. Dude, yeah. that's razor uh, thin margins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, yeah, the business was a little bit fucked. It owed its, uh, it, it owed one of the key speakers half a million dollars, and he was going to sue them. And and they it's they sold a load of tickets to it. This was in December. They sold a load of tickets to an event in February where he was the speaker, 
Um, so they'd sold the tickets, they'd had the money, they'd spent the money, and the guy was saying, I'm not turning up unless you pay me. Um, and <laughs> so they were, so they were, so that, yeah, so they were running around the industry trying to sell it for 300 grand for somebody that would then pick up the pieces with this guy. And, um, uh, and basically, um, everyone, everyone else in the industry just said no. And then I bought it for a pound, rang up the guy and just said, Hey, look, I'm not them. Um, let's work this out. But if we can't work this out if we don't turn up in February or the whole thing just goes into liquidation tomorrow. Um, and so he, so he, so he agreed to turn up. Um, and, uh, and we were back off to the, you know, back off to the races again. And uh, so anyway, I was getting a reputation so that all of those competitors were like, hey, how'd you do that? Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm kidding. Tell us, tell, us, tell us how you did that. I would have bought it for a pound. I didn't buy it for 300 grand, but I would have bought it for a pound, you know? And um, so everyone kept offering me like consultancy or become a non-exec for them or something. And I just couldn't think why on earth, why on earth I'd want to do that. It, it just didn't make any sense to me. It's kind of selling time for money, which is what I always advise people not to do. And so- oh, it's horrible. Just you, went, you reach your bandwidth yeah. capacity really fast, yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, I, I just kept turning them down. And anyway, it was when I bought that seminar company, I realized actually I could do a seminar and then all those people that want me to do consulting, I could just say, no, do my, uh, you know, do my program instead. And so I've, I've, I've done loads of those kind of, uh, programs myself. And I was always really frustrated with the fact you didn't get what they promised you. The, the content was really thin and it was all about the upsell. They're always trying to get you into the mentoring gold, platinum, diamond partner program or all this kind of shit. Run to the back of the room and all that crap, you know? And I just thought, okay, I'm going to do one of those. I'm going to do a seminar, but I'm not going to have any of that shit. I'm going to give them all of the content in one go, uh, even if it's a fucking fire hose of information and, they, and it's relentless <laughs> the and, they, and they hate me afterwards. Yeah. I'm going to give everything to them in one go. Yeah. Then I'm going to provide all the mentoring, follow-up, uh, you know, masterminds, all that sort of stuff included. And we'll make like a community of, of people. And I had... I, I, li- I honestly did it to get rid of people. I honestly did it to stop people calling me and asking me how I, how I did stuff. I thought it was a great way just to monetize those, those introductions. Anyway, I started it in 2009. And in 2009, I did more deals than I'd done in any year previously. I mean, there was a financial crisis which kind of helped. But, uh, but I noticed that all of those deals were coming from people that had come through the Harbour Club. And, uh, and so in 2010 and 2011, we kind of uh, started to take it a little bit more seriously. And now it's like the largest global community of M&A professionals. And uh, we've got a, a great reputation. We're regularly in the US, the UK and Australia, but we cover all the other countries in between. We've got loads of delegates in Canada and mainland Europe and Southeast Asia. Um, they're actively doing deals. We actually just got, so, so we're a mergers and acquisitions uh, group and we're always publishing people who bought companies. We're always publishing deals that were done. Um, in 2020, we've actually published the, the exits that people did. Um, now, I stupidly, I, I think it was like December, end of December or beginning of January, um, uh, just before the pandemic started, I was sitting on a flight back from Los Angeles and I recorded this video where I said, my goal next year is to make 50 new millionaires. I want to make 50 people into millionaires. And you don't make money running businesses. You make money when you sell them. So it's going to come from people in my community selling businesses for you know six, seven figure uh, amounts and um, and then the pandemic happened, so of Oops. course it became a, a buyer's market, not a seller's market. But we actually just got the results back uh, uh, the other day, and uh, I think it's thirty-one new millionaires that we created. Awesome! Um, so we we did pretty good, and uh, so we we we've got everybody's names. But obviously, if you publish everybody's names, they're going to get besieged online by uh, yeah uh, begging letters and everybody else. So. Um, so we've got we've got PKF, which is the 14th largest audit firm in the whole world. They're a, a big audit firm. 
So we've got PKF to check all of the sale and purchase agreements, all of the bank statements, all of the documents and everything like that, and give us a letter with their stamp on it saying, yeah, we've verified all of these details so that we can then uh, block out the names. And we're going to publish that report in the next week or so. Um, but yeah, it's really awesome. The, 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 the smallest number is like six figures, but they go up to the highest one's 19 million. Um, so, and, it, and it's everything in between. There's a whole bunch around the one, two, three million uh, mark that have all come from you know the, the methodologies used in the Harbor Club. So it's it's really awesome. That's incredible. So you you made thirty one new millionaires last year. Did this start? I know it's around a thousand members right now, right? The Harbor Club. Yeah, yeah. A little, so I would say about fifteen hundred like active members. Obviously, more people than that have been through the program, but people do it for different reasons. Some people are professionals who want to understand the the other side of the table. Some people are, um, you know, just intellectual on it. They just want to learn how it's done. Some people are just looking for credits to their continuous professional development and have no intention of using it. And then you get a whole bunch of super active people in the community who are sharing ideas, doing deals and working together. That's phenomenal. You're still growing in size, I would assume. Yeah. Or or is that kind of where you're at? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, we get, uh, yeah, we get new, new joiners, uh, every month. Um, the, we have that onboard. So basically the way it works, you get the onboarding, which is like this three day baptism of fire of, of information. The fire. And then there's like, yeah. A, yeah, exactly. And then there's like a 12 week, um, accountability group that you join, which kind of helps you get up to speed and get stuff moving. And, and I'm really available to them all the time. I mean, we have a, we have an app, uh, an iOS and Android app that they join and they, uh, everybody's very active in there sharing, uh, you know, videos and posts and uh, announcing deals and stuff like that, looking for joint venture partners. It's got like a grinder function as well, you know, find my nearest Harbor Clubber so people can meet up with uh, uh, their, their nearest. Nice. Uh, Swipe right. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Can you give some examples of some bad advice some other entrepreneur gurus give? Because, you know, you and I coach and we've also been coached, of course, you know, throughout the, but we've also had our share of bad advice given us too. Can you give some examples of what some of these other entrepreneur gurus, because you can go on Instagram and like do a quick search and find a lot of them, you Uh know? Parking yeah, lot, photoing <laughs> themselves in front of somebody else's Lambo, you know, just to get the status shot or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, I mean, in, in my industry, this buying and selling companies thing, I mean, we had virgin territory in, 20, in, in 2009. There really wasn't anybody else doing um, how to buy companies with no money down. There was a few guys doing the leverage buyout kind of uh, structure. But I mean, look, if you, if you type leverage buyout into Amazon, you find 380 books on the topic. It's not exactly, you know, uh, breaking news. So it's dead easy to learn. About. But, the, but the kind of stuff that we do is a little bit more creative, a little bit more different. And there was nobody else really doing it. But now everybody's jumped into it. I mean, the FTC in the US clamped down on all the dodgy real estate guys. And so a lot of them jumped into doing business because business being a kind of B2B play, it doesn't come under so much scrutiny from the Federal Trade Commission. So they've kind of they've jumped into that uh, area. And so, of course, everybody's copying similar messages to us. And so, of course, everybody says theirs is the only one that works and theirs is the only one that's got this and got that and everything else. <laughs> but look, the, the first thing I would just say to anybody that's listening is look at the person who is delivering the content. Have they got a 20-year career of buying and selling businesses? They, they, by the way, they will say they have. They will say they have. So you do have to research this. Or have they got a 20-year career of selling seminars? And, you know, if if all of their businesses have been selling seminars in lots of different industries, you can be fairly sure they're just a dude that sells seminars. Um, But if if all you can find online about them is deals being announced and stuff that they've done and, you know, them ringing a a stock market bell or whatever, 
that's that's possibly somebody that you should uh, you should listen to. And so that, that would just be the first thing I would say. But but advice wise, yeah, I hear I hear some shocking stuff and and sometimes illegal stuff. I mean, <laughs> yes. um, you know, yes. there, there's a guy running there's a guy running around at the moment. Unfortunately, he, years ago he was a student of, of mine, and then uh, suddenly just became a 20 year veteran of the M and A world and, and launched a, a seminar. He's running around telling people basically to buy a company, borrow a load of money. In the, in the company, like uh, leverage it up and then pay yourself a deal fee, like take a chunk of, of that money out of the company for you personally, which obviously if you're buying a small business, you know, it's a very volatile asset. Le- leveraging against a small business is not the smartest idea, full stop. Um, taking money out, if that thing goes bust, I mean, you're, you're, you'll be struck off from being a, a director of a company for probably about 15 years. Because um, that's where I really want to be. Thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you'll have twenty grand that you managed to take out the bank account. Pay <laughs> <So>, off. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, obviously, he's either looked at a real estate deal, you know, where they refinance and take money out of the uh, of the real estate deal, and thought, oh, that would work for business. I'm a fucking genius. Uh, or, <laughs> or he's looked at one of those private equity deals because in private equity they often pay themselves a deal fee, but they're they're doing half a billion dollar deals. It's not the same as buying a an air conditioning company in Idaho, you know, it's a, it's a different, it's a different beast. So, uh, yeah, um, there, there's some terrible advice out there. And, uh, you know, another one that those, those kind of seminar guys always do is the anyone can do it thing. And, you know, sure, anyone can do it, but don't play down how difficult an area this is to learn about, you know, it, and you, you only really, you can do as many seminars and read as many books about it as you like, but nothing's going to prepare you for actually doing it. So, any course or anything you do, you've got to be prepared to go out and speak to some entrepreneurs and try and close some deals because that's where all the learning is going to happen. The learning is not going to happen in the course or in the book or chatting to me endlessly. It's going to come from sitting down with an entrepreneur and trying to get them to sell you their company. Dude, that's um, for that's, that's the forever student too, you know. And I see this in the for the longest time because I, I don't have a formal coaching program that exists right now. But that was one of the things that I saw was all of these, you know, coaching program junkies that exist to where they just bounce from seminar to seminar and buy up everybody else's program, but never take any freaking action. This is why we have a high price point and we don't upsell. So everything's all in one. Uh, and that, that gets rid of a lot of the get rich quick guys and the seminar junkies because they're, they want to, they want to do the $99 program and then be sold the 12 and a half grand program. You know, they're like, uh, uh, it's in their DNA. So, um, so we take all of that away. And then, you know, what those other seminar companies do is they, you, you will never feel ready. You've got to start before you're ready. That's just human nature. You know, you, you're never, you're never ready for anything. You have to just go for it. And, uh, and that's kind of where I think, you know, the normal training companies prey on people's fear and sell them that next thing. You know, well, you don't feel ready, but you'll be ready after you do our diamond gold platinum program. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, that's the secret though, saying, right? That's the, yeah, <laughs> you will never ever be ready completely ready for anything that you're ever going to jump into. Uh, you just yeah, have to so just suck start. it up and do it because you'll figure it out along the way. You know, I remember you start, start before you're ready. Yeah. yeah. Start before you're ready. I love that. Last year, one of the pieces of bad advice that I saw was just one of these entrepreneur gurus, right. And of this mastermind that I'm a part of and they brought him on. He's like, he's going through this stuff. It's like, here's what we have to do. This was like April or May, you know? And it was like doom and gloom. You thought the world was ending, man. And a lot of people did around that time to be fair, but everything was like, don't do deals, save all your cash, 
just pull back. I was like, this is the most, this is the most depressing thing I've ever watched. You know, and if I didn't just dive in threefold from what I was doing before, I wouldn't have an IPO coming up in the next three months. You know, if I would have just sat and just wait and watch and observe, the, the timing is now. And here's the, here's the real secret. I'm sure you know this too, Jeremy. The timing is always now. Yeah, it's never time to just sit back on your ass and do nothing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, um, yeah, I mean, when, uh, I, I actually have like a bit of pandemic guilt, you know, because the pandemic broke out. Everybody's locked at home. I, I was with my family traveling and we were jumping from country to country that didn't have a lockdown. Um, and we're lucky we have our own airplane. We have disposable money so we could just keep moving. And we actually ended up in Dubai in United Arab Emirates and bought a house in the marina uh, in December. And we've been here since December <laughs> so, because, it, because it's open. Because it's open. Um, and, uh, uh, and, you know, in the summer, we were in Turkey, we were in Montenegro, we were in uh, Ukraine, we were in Spain, we were in Austria. Um, and we just kept moving around from uh, place to place. Every time one locked down, we would just figure out where's open and go fly there. Um, and, you know, I'm really glad that I was able to do that for my family and for myself as, as well. Um, and, carry, and carry on, you know, the great thing about doing deals, you do them on Zoom. I don't care if I do them on Zoom in, you know, Ukraine or Dubai or Singapore or, or wherever. So, um, you know, that, that ultimate freedom that doing deals suddenly gives you um, is, uh, is fantastic. And, and I feel a bit guilty because I can see, you know, that the harrowing times some people have been through and particularly businesses. I mean, it's the... What's happened to businesses has been so um, arbitrary. You've got some businesses that are just wiped out because of it, and others that are just booming because of it. And uh, and it really was it really was just like uh, <laughs> Thanos snapping his fingers, you know, and half of them fucking disappeared. <laughs> was, yeah, that's uh, exactly it. Yeah, for no apparent reason, and it was just like, okay, it's just going to be this random thing. You know what? This one doesn't look good, good, so I'll just choose them, just because I don't feel like going out to dinner for the next three months. You know, whatever. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, it, it, it was the weirdest. I mean, I've been through a lot of recessions because I've been in business since I was, you know, since I, since I was crawling. And so I, I remember the 1987 crisis, the uh, 92 crisis, the debt crisis, the, um, you know, the European crash, all of these, all of these different, the dot-com crash, all of these different 9-11, all of those things that all had a big impact on business. This is the first time I can ever think when we decided to switch off the economy. I mean, we had, we had an economy, if you think about it, we had 10 years of kind of stagnating growth. It was really, I mean, it was quite slow growth for the last 10 years, but it was growth. We were moving forwards. And then just as it looked like it was picking up, they literally just switched the whole thing off. It's the weirdest, it's the weirdest thing ever. Um, and uh, yeah. In my daily discover from the Wall Street Journal this morning, I was looking at, you know, that analysts are now expecting the economy to grow in the U.S. anyways, about 6.4% this year. And they they were saying, it is really awesome. They said, that's up for their previous, you know, target that they were looking at for 3.7%. But then I'm looking like, what is that relative to? Is that relative to last year? I mean, it's great. Just like you said, I'm like, woo, it's really exciting, you know, especially. But it's a low baseline. Yes, (laughs) yes, (laughs) for sure. But that was my thought. It was like looking over the past decades, like we were edging up year over year ever since 2007, 2008, you know, and now, you know, we had this huge just plummet and now they're saying 6.7%. Awesome. That's great. We can keep moving forward again. 
I had a dollar in my bank account. I've now got a thousand dollars. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, a thousand percent. <laughs> no doubt, my man. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, I appreciate you, my man, because I'm looking at you and everything you're saying. You know, I see a lot of. Uh, I look up to you and I admire you. You know, in in what you're saying today, and I see where you're at is. Uh, hopefully where I'm going to be in the next 10 years too. And this overwhelming thought just kind of kept coming into my head because like you said, you've been at this for a long time at this point. I've been at this for maybe about half that period of time, you know, and I still have some ways to go before I'm able to just have my own jet, you know, but that's in the plan because even with the public company board, I'm like, this is what I need. And like, yes, that's what you need, Rick, because of time. They're like anything else that, that just protects your time or if it's an income producing asset, go for it. We don't care what you do. And I'm like, great. That's, that's awesome. But that's still a couple of years away for me, but I really see this time span that you've had and what everybody I feel forgets when they see us. And this is kind of bookending this is that there's been a lot of losses along both of our paths so far. And I know I'm still going to experience more coming up in the future, but there are way more lessons in the losses than there are the wins. And that's the only way that we can keep moving up, man. Yeah, and can I just add one bit to Please. that? I think that's really important for people, which is, um, yeah, it takes a lot longer than you think. Everything you think you can achieve in a year takes ten years, and um, but don't let that don't let that slow you down. Still make one year plans, and okay, it might take ten years to to deliver them. Um, but also, you know, focus on asymmetric risk. So the thing I love about buying businesses that are limited in liability is that if you can get in for zero dollars and you have the potential of upside. The downside is protected and you only have room for upside. Where I made most of my mistakes in the past was taking too much risk on. Um, as an entrepreneur, every deal I did, I bet the farm, you know, personal guarantees, borrowing money, all of those kind of things. And, and that's always where I came unstuck. And now I always focus on asymmetric risk. What can I do to cover the downside so that I only leave room, leave room for upside? Um, and, and that's really the, the game changer because then you can lose a hundred times and win once and still be in front. Yeah, for sure, my man. I, I I love that too. What's a if I could ask you one final question before we sign off today? What do you believe are the lessons that you know Generation X, Y, and Z can have to learn right now? You know, because it, it there's like this Im impending depression, right? That we feel that is here. We know that the economy is still ticking up, but let's be real. There's a greater separation of classes. So even though the economy overall is ticking up, what I can see anyways that there's a greater separation of income classes that's taking place right now because there are those that are jumping on and can see these things. But how do you make that leap, right, for the Gen, Gen X, Y, and Z over to the class that can continue to accelerate? Yeah, so look, I mean, um, look, sal salary is like heroin. Um, you know, everybody used to have a job because that was the secure form of income. And actually, it's no more secure than uh, fending for yourself. So take self-responsibility in whatever you do. You're responsible. It comes down to you, whether it's good or bad. The Italians have the expression that the fish stinks from the head down. Um, and so, you know, it really <laughs> like does, come, it does <laughs> come from you. And uh uh, yeah, taking that self-responsibility is really, really important. Not, not relying on a government, not relying on you know, parents, not relying on anyone else for handouts. Make sure that you, you've got yourself sorted. If you're one of the people that when you came into the pandemic, three weeks in, you were, you know, uh, you'd run out of money or you were scraping around, that should be a, you should take that as a positive. That should be, be a wake-up call. That should be a great lesson for you to make sure that you're never in that position ever again and go out and learn the tools that you need to go and make sure that that doesn't happen again. 
um, start a business or buy a business, get into, you know, uh, running your own thing because, you know, it's the only true way, I think, to build, um, you know, significant satisfaction with your life as well as that financial independence. And, uh, yeah, uh, I think, um, yeah, learning about learning all the time is, uh, you know, um, there, there, success is not a destination, it's a journey and it's about constant progression. So, you know, learning is the, is the key to that constant progression. You've got to feel like every week you knew something you didn't know last week and you've got to keep just moving forwards. And I think a lot of that's getting lost. And I think too many people are getting sucked into politics and blame and all sorts of other things instead of, you know, when they see somebody get to the top of the tree, they start throwing stones. They should run and get ladders and figure out how they get up there too, um, instead of getting envious and, uh, and bitter about it, try and, try and figure out what they did and how you can learn from that. That's awesome, brother. Thank you. It's jeremyharbour.com, right? Where everyone can find you? Yeah. Yeah, Harbour spelled in the English one. Yeah, B O U R at the end. H A R B O U R. That's amazing. Everyone, Jeremy Harbour just dropping the mic today. Thank you, brother, for being on. I appreciate you. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me. What's shaking? Thank you for joining me on the All In podcast. Click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications. Text me 312 535 8520. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. See you next episode. I am Rick Jordan, and I approve this message.